0: So if you ask anyone about Daniel in the Bible, they likely know the story about a guy who gets thrown into a lion's den. People are generally familiar with the story of Daniel and the lion's den, even if they don't know the details, the why, the how, the what, and all of that. Oftentimes when you see artwork that depicts Daniel, he's depicted as a young man. But artists have their renditions of what they picture the scene and what the lions looked like. And I watched, there was one children's picture where the wall was about four feet high. And I'm like, well, Daniel could have just climbed out of that. And the lions are laying in his lap and it's all very cute. But what was really going on? What's the deal with this story? And what are the details? Well, actually, Daniel 6 gives us a picture of Daniel in his golden years. He's probably in his mid 80s. He lives somewhere into his 90s, but he's at this time in his mid 80s. He's lived his entire adult life in Babylon, the entire from teenager to current. He's lived in Babylonian culture and served for 70 years in the Babylonian government. I mean, he's seen some amazing things. He's interpreted dreams. He's watched the Nebuchadnezzar, the most powerful man in the world, eat grass like an ox and then be restored and write a letter to the world about how everybody should worship the God of the Bible, the God of the Jews. He's watched his friends get thrown into a fiery furnace and the angel of God protect them. They didn't even smell like smoke when they came out. You don't have those experiences with God and see God's faithfulness and have that not affect you somehow. And think about how Daniel started. Because Daniel starts as a captured Jewish teenager, carried 700 miles from his home to a foreign culture, trying to be repatriated. And then in chapter one, he's picked out of the whole group of these young men taken out of Israel, he's picked to serve the king. That's pretty special. Chapter two, He's moved into the place because he can interpret the dream and tell what the dream is. He's moved into being ruler over Babylon and over all of the magi, the wise men. So he gets promoted again. Chapter five, Belshazzar makes him the third ruler after Nabonidus and Belshazzar. He's the third in charge. So he keeps having this prosperity. Much like Joseph, if you read the Old Testament, the story of Joseph is amazing because Joseph has these dreams about what God is going to do with him, how people are going to bow to him and all that. But then he ends up getting sold into slavery by his family, thrown in a pit, left for dead, brought out of that, sold as a slave. He's lied about, it. he ends up in prison. And through all of that, because God is with him, he's prospering and he's always serving. And he continues to go up and he ends up as prime minister in Egypt under a pagan government. So that's where chapter six heads us with Daniel. Not a coincidence in chapter six, Daniel is heading for the same role, promotion to prime minister of the Medo-Persian Empire. Chapter six highlights the principle that God is trying to drive home to us, that God promotes humility and he tears down pride. We are going to see in chapter six, it's an interesting chapter for our day and for this year, we are going to see the ugliness of politics and the beauty of of faithfulness. Really, you can't write it any better than this. I mean, truth is stranger than fiction. Of course, this is only life in Daniel's day. We don't see the ugliness of politics in our day. So we'll recognize that none of what we're going to talk about applies to us or our time. You know I'm being facetious and sarcastic, right? But many great lessons from this chapter. So join me. Daniel chapter six, verse one begins with, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. We've jumped from Nebuchadnezzar. Then in chapter five, we spent a little bit of time introducing who Belshazzar was and how he got there all of a sudden. And at the end of chapter five, we saw how the Babylonian empire, that head of gold had yielded to that chest and arms of silver. Daniel has watched as kings have come and kings have gone. Now even kingdoms, empires have come, and then empires have gone, and new empires have come. And through all of that, Daniel and his faithfulness have seemed to transcend the empires coming and going, and kings coming and going. God is tearing down and setting up, and Daniel continually being promoted. So now we are introduced to Darius, who had helped the conquering, bringing in of the Medo-Persian empire, I'll tell you this, and then I'm gonna leave it for your own study just so I don't bore you with more history. There's so much good practical things here. Just know that there is some historical speculation about exactly who is this Darius of the Medes. There is some controversy about his identity. I'm not gonna get into that. You can look it up for yourself. Was Darius a throne name for King Cyrus? You can look it up, but suffice it to say, The Bible says Darius is now ruling over the Medo-Persian empire from Babylon, and I'm okay with that. So it pleased Darius to set up over the kingdom 120 satraps. Now, you can circle that right next to that, governors. In our sense of the word, what's a satrap? What's a rat trap? I got a lot of ant traps these days. But satraps are governors. They ruled over provinces in the empire. So like we have states that are ruled by governors. They had satraps ruling over the different regions in the empire. And then over them, verse two says, there were three governors. You can circle that and you can write presidents. Not in our sense of the word presidents, but in the sense of someone who presides over. So you've got 120 governors ruled over by three presiding rulers. One of them, the Bible says, is Daniel. So of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So we're gonna talk a lot about faithfulness, God's faithfulness, and Daniel's faithfulness. And one of the things that we learn is that faithfulness shines. Now, I'm not making that up. That's what it says when Daniel distinguished himself. The word can also be translated in different contexts to shine or to excel. And we understand the concept when you want to use flowery language about someone who's excelling, you can say, oh, they're really shining. There's a shining moment in their career. So we understand the idea Daniel was in good company. I mean, this is the best of the best of the best. And Daniel is standing out over all of them. So there's the transition is happening. The old regime is out. The new administration is in. It's a big empire. So there's big worries. Every time your empire expands, you got more stuff to take care of. You got more things to worry about. So the king has to worry about all these different regions he's now overseeing. He's got to put his trust in these various governors, and then he's got to have someone he trusts ruling over them. And that's the thing about this. When you talk about politics and leadership, we also know the word corruption, don't we? Again, I'm talking Daniel's time, not ours. You got to worry about embezzlement. You got to worry about bribery and corruption and misuse of power And all of those things, and that's why Darius is doing what he's doing. He puts these three presiding rulers. So each president has 40 governors that they oversee. And why does he do it? So that the king would suffer no loss. Because most people aren't faithful. I mean, we come to this discussion and you'll see this contrast between Daniel and everybody else. Because Daniel has in him an excellent spirit. We'll talk about that in a minute. But this contrast exists because When you have things, when you're in leadership, you gotta worry about corruption. You gotta worry about, are people gonna be faithful? So many people are just in it for what they can get for themselves. They wanna grab and go. And the minute you turn your back, they're gonna stab you in it. And it's all about them and their ambitions and their power. And it doesn't matter who's right or who's wrong. All that matters is winning. Win at all costs. My party, my group, my issue, my agenda, that's all I care about. Justice doesn't matter. Right and wrong doesn't matter. So there's corruption Are we together in that? So when you have a big empire or a big country or a big area to rule, who do you need with you? People you can trust, people you can trust. And Darius has recognized that there is especially one guy that he can trust, and his name is Daniel. Now, so much so that Darius is thinking about promoting him to prime minister of all the Medo-Persian empire. I mean, Daniel hasn't campaigned for the job. He's not politicking. It's not because he's got seniority. He's been around the longest. It's not because he's ambitious for this role. It's because God rules in the kingdoms of men and he gives the power to whom he wants. And if he wants to, which he does, he sets over it the lowest of men. And Daniel, part of his excellent spirit. Did you see that? Why he's getting this promotion is because He has an excellent spirit in him, and the king recognizes that. And I'm sure part of that excellent spirit has got to be trustworthiness. Daniel has spent time with the living God, and that changes a person's character. Daniel has the imprint of his God on his life. And it's noticeable, it's recognizable. And part of that is Daniel is trustworthy. Look, Daniel is a guy who is not money hungry. He's already proven that. Belshazzar said, hey, whoever can interpret the handwriting on the wall, I'll give him gold necklace and all this new clothes. And Daniel said, I don't need your stuff. Keep it. I'll tell you anyway. You can't buy Daniel. He's not trying to move up the ladder, the chain of command. He's not ambitious for more power. Being there is not his identity. What do you do with a guy like that? How do you corrupt a person who can't be bought or bribed? You can't manipulate him. I mean, I think the other thing about Daniel is not just those things, his trustworthiness, his faithfulness, that's a direct relationship to his character given from God. But I think he also was compassionate. I think people actually had a sense that he loved them because this excellent spirit of God, he serves a God of love. So on top of that, this personal skills that he has, you ever met someone who would say that person's got an excellent spirit? I mean, I've met people with a bitter spirit, people with an angry spirit, People with a critical spirit. You met some of those? Daniel's time, not our time. Opinionated spirit? How about that one? Let's try that one on for side. Man, when's the last time you met someone? Man, that guy or that girl has an excellent spirit. And what is it you're responding to when you say that? I mean, look, the bar for character is so low right now. It is so easy to succeed in this world. Because so few people have faithfulness and character like Daniel has. Everybody is self-promoting. I know not everybody is. But the vast majority are self-promoting, selfish, self-ambition, and all of those things. So a guy like Daniel stands out at work. Look, it's so low that right now, just to start being successful just show up. Isn't it nice to have someone that just shows up for work? And if they're sober and not hung over, that's a plus. Call if you're going to be late. I mean, these are simple kindnesses and niceties. But for so many people, what I do is a direct relationship to what you do for me. I do what I do. If you do for me what I need you to do for me. It's not character. It's manipulation. And on top of showing up, not being drunk, being sober, not being high or hungover, and actually being there. Then if you actually care about what you do, you work hard. You take pride in what you do, because you're working for Jesus, not for them. Work hard as if working unto the Lord is what the Bible tells me. I preach to you, but I don't preach to you. I preach for Jesus. I got to run my sermon by him and see if he likes it. Thank God he's gracious. Forbes magazine said, 94% of recruiting professionals believe an employee with stronger soft skills, I'll define that in a minute, stronger soft skills, has a better chance of being promoted to a leadership position than an employee with more experience, but weaker soft skills. I mean, God knows this. He knows how promotion works. He knows what people connect with. So promotion is, comes from God, but not because you're a jerk and God is gracious and he's gonna promote jerks. Promotion comes as a product of things like humility that God produces. God promotes character he produces. Does that make sense? So the soft skills, things like work ethic, dependability, positive attitude, communication, adaptability, all things connected to what our normal Christian lives should look like. And it all starts with faithfulness to God. See, Daniel has a faithfulness that transcends empires, And leadership and job opportunity. His character transcends. Listen, this kind of character, it transcends nationality, it transcends political party, it transcends denomination. This is character that comes from a direct relationship of the Spirit of God. And it's the same spirit in an African American, in a Chinese, in a Caucasian, in an Irish, in a male, in a female. These character traits transcend all those things. Isn't that great news? Transcends your economic background, your upbringing, all that stuff comes from God. Paul says, now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. It was important to Paul. Was it important to Jesus? Jesus says, Luke 16, he was faithful in what is least is also faithful in much. He was unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful In the unrighteous man, in unrighteous things, money specifically, who will commit to trust you with true riches. And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, then who will give you what is your own? We're so worried about going to the best school and getting on the best team. And so I can have the best education and I'm not knocking good education, but man, there's something that transcends all that stuff. Go to best school, be in the best team, get the best education so I get the best job so I can make the best salary, and on and on and on we go. But are parents still concerned with their kids' learning character? Because character transcends all that. We'll spend hours on the ball field and minutes, if that, in prayer. Something's wrong. It's a lack of understanding of the ways of God. Most valuable advice I've ever given my kids is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord With all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Verse four, so the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was, say it church, faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law, of his God. Man, they are jealous. Daniel is being promoted to this top position and they think they deserve it. So of course, the response of the unfaithful, of the ungodly, of the self-promoting is jealousy. If I can't have it, I don't want you to have it. So they begin this campaign. They hire a research team. Even if Daniel did have Facebook, it would be clean because he's faithful. But man, You know, they hire this research team to look into his Facebook account, any pictures of Daniel at a wild Babylonian party, any racism in there, anything we can pin on him to take him down. I don't care if it was when he was in elementary school. Did he smoke anything, drink anything, do anything, anything we can nail on him. And because Daniel had served God from the time he was a teenager, before he grew up serving God, they can find nothing. There's two guys in the Bible, aside from Jesus, that are talked of this way. Joseph and Daniel, two guys that both got elevated into high government positions too. Interesting. You can't pin anything on this guy. Now, youth is not necessarily the time to sow your wild oats. Well, I'm young. I'll sow my wild oats now, and then later on, I'll get right with God, and I'll live my life. Be careful, because wild oats have a way of coming back to bite you, don't they? How does a young man purify his way? And a young man can, and a young man should, by taking heed to God's word. They can't have it. They don't want Daniel to have it. They start to try to find some ammunition for a smear campaign, but their tactics came up empty. Notice this about faithfulness. Faithfulness frustrates people. Not everybody. Faithfulness frustrates corrupt people. They don't know what to make of it because they think you're like them or you should be like them. They don't trust you because you can't be like that all the time. If I come live with you, if I get to know you, I will find the chink in your armor because you can't be that honest. You can't be that sincere. You can't be that compassionate. You can't be that loving. And they judge from their own inability. That's why faithful people are so unnerving to unfaithful people, because it makes them feel guilty. But you know what? Be faithful anyway. Be faithful anyway. So they couldn't nail him on any of his character, anything moral. He had nothing that they could pin on him. His Facebook account was clean. But where could they nail him? His relationship with God. They knew that he was faithful to God. So that's where they could get his spiritual consistency. Now watch what happens. Verse six. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever positions any God or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing. Here's the pen, Darius, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. He will regret that. A couple of things to point out, some very interesting dynamics here. Number one, what you notice is the change in governmental style. You've gone from the head of gold where Nebuchadnezzar was the man. He made the law. He could change the law. He was the law. If he said, jump, you said, how high? And if he said, you die, you died. If he said, you live, you lived. Now, once Darius under the Medo-Persian empire, once he makes a law and signs it, then the law has authority over even the king. That's how government works now. So just notice the change in governmental style in terms of unified authority and the complete sovereignty of the king. Notice something else. Notice in verse seven, the word all. Did you catch that as I was reading through it? All the governors of the kingdom, we've all gotten together and we've made this decision. We've got this new bill. We want you to sign it into law. So they're lobbyists. They're lobbying for this new legislation there in the Persian empire and they used the word all. Was that true? Who do you think missed the meeting? You think they called the meeting at a time when he wasn't available? He was in the shower, or he was doing something. He was away on business. They called the meeting, and they lie to the king, and he makes his decision based on lies. Now, I'm glad politics today isn't like that, that this is relegated to the Medo-Persian empire, and we don't ever experience anything like that. Look, here's the challenge with all the information we get is that there's a lot of lies out there. Now, Darius never checks it out. They press the screws to him. They tell him it's urgent. Here's the pen. You've got a sign. Don't think about it. Don't go home and pray about it. Just act right now. It's a very appealing law to him because it makes him God. Basically, Over the next 30 days, no one to ask anybody for anything except you. You're going to be like God for 30 days. Ooh, really? Where do I sign? God for 30 days. Hmm, That sounds good to me. So he never checks it out. He never says, you know what? You guys seem awful urgent to get me to sign this. That should be a clue, shouldn't it? Urgency should always be a clue to manipulation. The minute someone tries to push me or bully me, I start to shut down. My eyes start to glaze over. I start to smell something fishy. Sorry, I'm not gonna make a decision quick. So he makes the decision. Daniel's not there. He never checks it out. You're gonna get emails. You're gonna watch videos. You got somebody who knows somebody who has a blog and has some information on the blog. Every time I get a video or an article, and I appreciate the things I get, Just know that it takes me three hours of research to find primary sources or confirmational sources to see if what you sent me is really true. We are very, very sloppy with our information and we're very quick to press send. Oh, if you like this, send it on to 20 more people that now you are lying to. If you can't confirm it, then don't send it. Are you with me? There's a lot of false news out there, there's some good information. But boy, you gotta do a lot of sorting, don't you? And I've had to do it. I've gotten emails and the person says, oh, here's an article, you gotta read this. And I do a little research and I go, actually, what you said isn't true. What that article said isn't true. Now, I'm not gonna get into details, but you can fill in the blanks. The idea is Darius should have done his homework because people, unfaithful people, hello, church, unfaithful people lie. Does that come as a surprise? That people lie? Does it come as a surprise? I don't think I said it last week. Can we get a witness that even scientists are human? And just because a scientist wrote it doesn't mean it's true. Scientists, people that publish research, have agendas. They have to get grant money. They want to get that out fast. They want to get it out first. And people are people are people. Science is not our God. Now, trust me, I was a biology major. I'm not knocking science but I'm saying scientists are human and are subject to the same temptation for money and lies and promotion and all those things. So you gotta do your research. You gotta think it through. So God is moving Daniel up. People want to knock him down and faithfulness causes conflict. If you're gonna be faithful, it could cause a conflict between you and the people who don't like your God or who don't like you. Look what happens as a result. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. So Daniel finally gets the memo, oh, by the way, 30 days, no praying to anybody but Darius. You can write this down. Faithfulness produces consistency. So Daniel gets the memo. He doesn't freak out. He doesn't start a riot. He goes home, going to his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. This is not a, ha, I'll show you. I'm gonna open my windows and I'm gonna pray on purpose just in your face. I don't care what the law says. I'm doing what I'm gonna do and I'm gonna show you. That wasn't his heart. Look, Daniel doesn't have a rebellious spirit. Daniel's faithful to God. That's where his loyalty lies. God is first in his heart. So when it comes time, he opens his windows, not because he wanted to shove it in their face, but because that's what he always did. Daniel was doing what Daniel always did. Did you see that at the end of that sentence, the last sentence there? He says, as was his custom since early days. Daniel's doing what Daniel's always done. So many people live a life that is so inconsistent Because it's just reactive. We're reacting to everything. This group or that group or this thing or that news thing. And everybody's just responding and reacting. And everybody running around like crazy. Trying to please and meet everybody's needs. And quell everybody's desires. And not step on anybody's toes. But Daniel had a life of consistency. He was responding to God. And not to his environment or the culture or the decrees. Now, Daniel could have said, ah, it's only 30 days. That would be 90 prayer times that I would miss with God. Yeah, I'll be fine. God will understand. For some of you, business would continue as usual because we like to fight. You know, look, we're in this time where we're fighting for our rights as Christians. We're gonna fight for our right to pray in schools. and We're gonna fight for our right to pray at government meetings. I'd like to fight for the right to pray in church, to see people pray in church or pray at home. Forget about prayer in school. I'm worried about prayer at home, prayer in church. We like to fight for the right just in case we might want to pray someday. But look, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know. We're good at reading the Bible and we're good at showing up for Bible study or buffet meals and whatnot. But prayer meetings, sparsely attended traditionally. But Daniel says, I can't imagine spending a day and not talking to my God. Daniel knew his source of character, his source of life, his source of well-being, his source of sanity. And I can't go five hours without praying, without talking to God. It's the vibrancy of his relationship with God. Prayer is what makes Daniel who he is. And notice the kind of prayer, did you catch that? He prays, windows open, facing Jerusalem. That's his homeland. That's where his heart is. His body's in Babylon or now in the Persian empire, but where's his heart? His heart is in God's land, in Jerusalem. And notice when he sits down or when he kneels down to pray, his 86-year-old body on his knees, he gave thanks. Try that. Try going home tonight, turn on the news for about 30 minutes. Soak it all in and then get on your knees and enjoy a prayer of thanksgiving. That's unique, isn't it? When's the last time you just spent time thanking God in prayer? You look out the window, you look on this computer screen and you go, man, God, what are you doing? Why is this happening? Why is that happening? What happens here? We express our anxieties to God. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why can you get down in the middle of what we're going through? Why can you get down and say, thank you, God, because we know he's doing something. We know that God is gonna promote the humble and take down the proud. Doesn't always happen as fast as we want or in the way that we think, but God has a plan. He used Babylon for his purposes and then he removed Babylon. Man, I'm so glad I'm not God that I just get to serve him and watch what happens. So he gives thanks. Prayer is super important to Daniel. Let me ask you a question. If someone was gonna fault you on something you did faithfully, what would it be? When you think about your life, what would you say? I do this faithfully, go to the gym faithfully, read my newspaper faithfully, watch the news faithfully, drink my cup of coffee in the morning faithfully. What do you do faithfully? What did Daniel do faithfully? Daniel prayed. So that's where they're gonna nail him. Verse 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Of course, they knew that because he did it faithfully. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. O king, have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Quit playing games, you knew that. They're just wringing their hands going, oh, we got him, we got him. The king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who was one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. These are the whistleblowers. They said that Daniel, notice that that he's still, they're categorizing him, they're painting him in a caricature that puts him in a negative light. He's just a captive from Judah. That's how we want you to see him. He's been in Babylon 70 years. He's got a 70-year career in politics. But all they want to say is he's just a captive from Judah. He's just a Jew taken captive. And he doesn't show due regard for you, makes his petition. And watch the king's reaction. This is great. You remember when Nebuchadnezzar's reaction, when the three boys wouldn't bow down, different reaction. Look at verse 14. And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with Daniel. Wait a second. What does your Bible say? himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. I think this guy loved and appreciated Daniel. And when he found out what had happened to him, how he got roped in, lied to, how he bought it, hook, line, and sinker, he was mad at himself. You ever been there? You ever buy a story, buy a line, and then realize you'd been lied to him? Oh, frustrated. Man, I can't believe I bought it. I can't believe I believed it. So he's displeased with himself. I think humble people draw out compassion from others. Don't you find that to be true? When someone is humble, you feel for them. You just want to do good things for them. But what's your response when you meet someone who's full of pride? It tends to be off-putting, doesn't it? When all they want to do is talk about themselves and all that they've done and all they want to do, all they've accomplished and where they went to school and how many degrees they have. And you're just like, okay, I've had enough. I think Daniel was the guy that talked less about himself and more about other people. So the king seems to love Daniel and appreciate Daniel. And now he's signed this bill into law and he wants to deliver him. So he spends all night. He labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He's trying to find a loophole, any way to not have to do this. Verse 15, then these men approached the king and said to the king, "Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians. I can just hear their smug voices, can't you? That no decree or statute with the king established may be changed. They think they've got the king. They think they've got Daniel, just like they thought they had Jesus. We'll just make up some false accusations. We'll manipulate Pontius Pilate. We'll get him put on a cross and we can wash our hands of this troublemaker called Jesus. Don't be so sure. Verse 16, so the king gave the command. Oh, it must have been painful to say. And they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. It sounds a lot like the burial of Jesus. It seems so final. It seems so certain. The stone is rolled and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king seals it with his own signet ring. I can just imagine his heart breaking and his feeling of responsibility for this. And with the signets of his lords and that the purpose concerning Daniel might be changed. The other guys, the governors, they're all high-fiving, and this man's heart is breaking. And now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and no musicians were brought before him. Also, his sleep went from him. He said to Daniel, hey, your God whom you serve continually, he'll deliver you. Look at the reputation. Look at the witness that Daniel was that God who you are basically saying who you've been so faithful to that God who you serve continually. He won't let you down. And I think Darius wanted to believe that, but I think he wasn't certain because then he goes home and that night he can't find a loophole. So that night, does he sleep? Nope. Can he eat? Nope. He's so anxious. He's so worried. He gets no sleep that night, and he doesn't eat. Now imagine inside the lion's den. We know what it's like inside the palace. A lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, a sleepless night, tossing, turning, worried about Daniel. But imagine inside the lion's den. There's Daniel. He gets lowered down, and there's all the snarling lions. Do you remember those two guys, Siegfried and Roy, that did the Tiger Act in Las Vegas for all those years? And then Roy, got attacked by one of his tigers in the middle of a show and it severely debilitated him. He lost a lot of blood and he ended up having a stroke and still to this day has a lot of physical problems from that, but the tiger, he fell on stage and the tiger grabbed him by the throat and began to walk off the stage to the backstage to his cage with Roy. And Roy himself speculates that the tiger was just trying to protect him. But experts disagree on that. So just a simple bite punctures an artery, and off he goes. This is a tiger, a white tiger, and this is a den full of lions. And there's Daniel. as just like, good kitty, kitty, kitty. Down, kitty, kitty, kitty. What's that night like? Many people speculate that Daniel had a better night's sleep than the king. You got a king who could sleep but wouldn't. You got Daniel who shouldn't sleep but probably is. You got a king who can't eat but could. You got lions who want to eat but can't what a scene. Daniel is in this tomb for the night. Verse 19 says, "Then the king arose very early in the morning. Sounds just like the women coming to Jesus's tomb, doesn't it? They arise very early in the morning. The king is so anticipating. What is he going to find? Will Daniel have become cat chow or will he have been protected by his God? Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God. This guy knows something about Daniel's God. Daniel has not been silent about his God. Has your God whom you serve continually, that's the observation. That's the observation that this guy makes about Daniel. This God that you believe in, I really believe that you really believe in him because you serve him all the time. Has that God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lion's den? And I can imagine a dramatic pause. Seconds seem like hours as he waits to hear, is there anything coming from the tomb, from the lion's den? And then out of the den, out of the darkness, there's a voice. And Daniel said to the king, oh, king, live forever. I would imagine the king probably fainted. Well, he's alive. He's alive. The lion, you know, the Bible says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because that's true. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel. That's how it happened. And shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. I wonder if Daniel slept with one eye open. Just in case. Or do you think he slept soundly? What do you think? Do you think he saw that the lions were like, ah, ah, ah. see, the angel of God, just like in the fiery furnace, the angel was there, fourth man walking around in the furnace. The angel shows up here with Daniel. God has his ways. The angel shows up here in the furnace and he shuts the lion's mouths so that they couldn't hurt him. God knew that if the lions had eaten Daniel, it would have made them very sick and vomit. Did you know that? Do you know why? Because God knows you just can't keep a good man down. Oh, I had to make sure you're still awake. I had to make sure you're still awake. Daniel was a good man. He was a good man. Come on now, give me a little bit of grace. (laughs) You know, Daniel makes it into the hall of faith. By faith, Hebrews 11 says, they stopped the mouths of lions. Is God doing it? Yes. Is it a response to Daniel's faithfulness to his God? Yes. Because he says, they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. In other words, I've never fallen into idolatry. I've never had any other God before you. I'm blameless in terms of my relationship with God. And because of that, I've done no wrong before you. When a person is faithful to God, they will be faithful to people because one of the prime characteristics of our God is covenant loyalty. It's all over the Old Testament. It's translated as loving kindness. God's loving kindness. If he makes a promise to be faithful, he's faithful no matter what. And then we respond to that. saying, God, we so appreciate your love. We so appreciate your faithfulness. We want to be faithful to you in return. You deserve my faithfulness. You deserve my loyalty. Isn't that true? People come and go. People change. God is the same forever, and he deserves my loyalty. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Look at verse 23. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury was found on him, just like no smell of smoke on the fiery furnace, guys. Not even a scratch on Daniel. And here's the money verse right here. Because he believed in his God. That's God's commentary on Daniel and the lion's den. Most people don't know that. They know there was a man in a den. They don't know the rest of the story. Not even a scratch on him because he believed. Now, I think that is kind of an impotent translation. It's an accurate translation, but I think there's some other ways to phrase it that might be more meaningful because Daniel didn't just believe that God would do for him what Daniel wanted. That's the relationship many of us have with God. We have a God that we trust will do what we wanted to do, which really makes us God and him our servant. But Daniel believed, in other words, the word in Hebrew that was translated back in verse four as, do you remember why they couldn't pin anything on Daniel? Because he was, what was the word? Faithful. It's the same Hebrew word here because Daniel was faithful. He entrusted himself to God. He stood firm with God. He was faithful to God. He'd given God his life. I can't tell you the times where I've pulled a Psalm 25, where David writes, I put my trust in you. Let me not be ashamed. Let not my enemies triumph over me. You guys know the Psalm, but boy, that idea of, God, I'm trusting you. It's a scary thing, isn't it? Have you had that feeling where you're going, God, I'm trusting you here. I'm going to do something. It's scary. I know what the law says, but I know my relationship with you, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you because that's where my heart is. Remember, they're in captivity because of years of unfaithfulness of Daniel's people, the Jews. So they're there because of a string of unfaithfulness, but God is highlighting a faithful man, a faithful individual in the midst of an unfaithful nation that's now under discipline. You do not have to be like the culture you live in. And God deals with you, deals with us nationally. He'll deal with us as a nation, but he deals with you as an individual. And the problems in my life really come when I believe I have to be selfishly ambitious or try to promote myself or pride begins to rise up. Mother Teresa said it wisely. God does not require us to be successful, only that we be faithful. What is God looking for in us? He's looking for people whose hearts are loyal to him so he can show himself strong on their behalf. Just a side note, and we'll get right back and we'll finish this up. Just in case you're wondering about historical accuracy of this, archaeology again bears this out. A man named Marcel Dulafoy excavating in the Middle East in that region falls into what looks like a well. They dig a little deeper. They clear away some dirt. They find an inscription that says the place of execution where men who angered the king died torn by wild animals. So affirmed through archaeology that this was a way of punishment in that time. Secondarily, another excavation at the palace in Shushan, they found an ancient record containing a list of 484 men of high degree who died in a den of lions. Names listed on this inscription. Guess whose name was missing? Daniel's name, because Daniel did not die there. Verse 24 says, and the king gave the command, and they brought those men who had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of lions them, their children, and their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. You reap what you sow. Ultimately, you reap what you sow. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble over and over and over again. So some might say, well, this really wasn't a miracle. I mean, maybe they put Daniel in there and maybe they'd already fed the lions and the the lions just weren't hungry. (laughs) They devoured these guys before they ever hit the floor. Just like the fiery furnace guys that got burnt up as they were taking Daniel in, it was a hot fire. These were hungry lions. There is no human explanation. It was a miracle of the grace of God. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, Men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Now, you can't decree that, but he's going to try. That's something that can only come from the heart. Why? For he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Now we have in the book of Daniel the testimony of not one, but two Gentile pagan kings as to the validity, the sovereignty, the eternity, the power, the goodness, and the faithfulness of the God of the Jews. You sit in very good company if you're a believer in God. Don't let anybody tell you different. And don't let anybody move you off of your trust in God. May the Lord help us to live faithful throughout our golden years until the last day we draw breath on this earth. And then we'll really see the faithfulness of God. We are saved by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to his father. Amen.